everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue him together. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode nine, I think, of At His Feet. Today, you might hear a little bit of extra fuzziness in the background. I am, it's the quietest place I could find. I am in um, a hotel. We are in Huntsville, Texas. Really, okay, we're in Revival in New Waverly. But our um, hotel is in Huntsville. And I asked the front desk guy, hey, where's the quietest place I can go? I'm doing a podcast, blah, blah, blah. And he told me the business center. It's perfect. Everyone loves the business center. So I come in and the computers are so loud. It has two computers and a printer. It's a very small room, which is fine. But they're like constant buzzing, humming. I don't know what it is. So I'm on the ground and like pushed as far away from the computers as I can get in this room. So hopefully you won't hear as much, but the first time I tried to record when I did a test, all you could hear, it sounded like my kid's white noise machine in the background. So hopefully this is better. But um, today we're going to talk about control. This episode is all about control. If I had to title it, it would be uh, on the queue, it'll just say losing control. But a subtitle to me is surrendering to God what is already His. We'll talk about my past desperate need for control, the way that I justified taking control even after my new birth experience, the moment with God where I realized I was never actually in complete control. And the process of learning to stop taking from God what was already His. If He is the author and the finisher of our faith, He has to hold the pen. And I really could stop talking there and just simply say for the episode, how do you, you know, give God control? How do you stop taking control is He has to hold the pen. But you know, I won't stop. (laughs) (laughs) because that wouldn't be a good episode, and that'd be like a minute long. But I want to just preface the episode with this. Um, You'll hear today as the episode continues that I wasn't just in need of Jesus before being Holy Ghost filled. We know that. But now, even now, yesterday, today, tomorrow, God is constantly growing me, in reaching into the hidden places of my heart, and I am so thankful. I'm thankful that living for God is a journey, and I'm thankful that He never stops trying to change me and you. A couple of years ago, I had this realization that I had this deep-rooted issue. I've kind of already told you about it, but this need for control had been around just so long in my life, and it didn't go away when I started living for God. I didn't realize even that it was there until maybe two years ago when I came against something that I couldn't control. It didn't matter what plans I had or how many to-do lists I had made in the situation. I could not control the outcome. 
There was no explanation for the hurt except a word from a precious man of God that God had saved us from something catastrophic. But in the months following, I would have thoughts every few days, if not more often, of things that I could do or could have done to change the outcome. Article tips I had read and everything that I could possibly do to fix this. And even then, I would pray. God, I trust you. But these feelings of things that I could do to get my hands in the situation would constantly, I'm talking constantly, pop into my head. And one night, I had just had enough. I decided I would no longer entertain these thoughts. And more importantly, I would no longer let this need for control run my life. It wouldn't run my life in any area. It was like in that moment, God helped me to identify something that had been in the way for quite some time. But my need for control had just been magnified to where I could finally see it due to all of the emotions involved in this situation. In the very moment that it hit me, I'll tell you, Ezra and Taylor and I, it was before Abby, were on the bed at a hotel, and we were watching a church service on the iPhone. Sister Bobby Wendell was preaching, and she's awesome. She's incredible. Well, I can't tell you what she said or even the title of her message, but something in it convicted me. And I couldn't take it another moment. It's like, God, something she said just pricked my heart. And so without without saying another word to anyone else, I just got on the floor, got off the bed and laid on the floor in our hotel room. And I cried my eyes out and I emptied my hands before God. It wasn't just a time of saying all the right words, but it was literally letting go of every single thing that I had been holding on to. And I'm telling you, it physically hurt. My heart was aching, but I knew that it must be done, and I had to empty myself out before God if I was ever going to get it right. Before this moment, I had never really pinpointed control as something that I dealt with. I guess because maybe sometimes God is is so gentle with me, and it seems that in the way that God deals with me often— In each season, I guess, of life, he peels back another layer of something that I need to deal with. And that was what it was. And even like very recently, he's peeled back another layer. And I can't talk about it yet as I'm I'm just trying so hard to get my thoughts in order and patterned more and more after him. But anyways, in that prayer moment between the hotel bed and the wall, I was laid out and I was crying and I'm telling God, I'm sorry for trying to be in control. And and whatever, whatever was said, it just, it struck me so, so strong that sister Bobby Wendell said, and it just allowed God to reveal that tendency that I had. And I accepted, I said, God, I accept that you hold life and death in your hands. And I'm not, I know that no manipulating on my part could change that. I'm a believer, a big believer in doing things physically to mirror what I feel like in my spirit in a moment. If that makes sense, I'll explain it. I was praying. I was saying, God, I give up control. I'm not good at this. You know all, you see all. And I accept that my view of things is so slim 
And how in the world could I possibly think that I could plan my life out better than you, God? And as I prayed, I told you I'm on my face and I'm laid out. And I just felt like I needed to stick my hands out and really physically do what I was praying. I extended my arms straight out and stretched my hands as open as I could make them, signaling to myself and to God that I was not holding on to anything. And as I, as I did that, God took me in my mind to specific moments throughout the timeline of my life where control had become my nature, showing me that it wasn't just in this situation that I had tried to take control, but it was all through my life. Moments where I felt like I, I wasn't in control, moments where it was too much for me to handle, I would reach for that, that sense of control. I would reach for trying to work things out my way, you know, and I really hadn't identified it until that day. I won't actually, I almost did, and then I just decided not to. I won't actually share the moments that God showed me, and you know, it's because some of them are too personal, and also for the sake of not having a two-hour episode that you will never listen to, I decided to um, skip them, but I'll say that the three stops that God showed me we're all before the Holy Ghost. And so this need for control is is what I reverted to when life was just crazy. I focused in those moments that God showed me on what I could control. And, you know, while I was still living for God when, when He revealed this to me, I didn't still deal with these just very obviously unhealthy control habits I totally acknowledge today that coming to God is a total process, and some things happen more quickly than others. And while, you know, obviously bad habits, I dropped the best I could, obvious to me is what I'm saying. Um, I dropped them in coming to God. There's some things that you hold on to or some things that are hidden, and God peels back layer by layer. After receiving the Holy Ghost, this need for control transformed for me into a do-anything-to-make-it-happen kind of personality. I lovingly called myself a problem solver, but in all actuality, anything that didn't go the way that I planned was a problem. And I was going to fix it. I guess that's my Martha coming out. I'm not quite sure. But that's great when it comes to planning church events or house decorating or even a disagreement with my husband. But sometimes life throws things at you that take your breath away, test your faith, make you question how much you truly trust God, and most importantly, make you realize just how out of control that you are. This out of control was different than I experienced as a child or a teenager. I wasn't out of control of my environment, but I did have to accept that Jesus holds all control. He had tried to teach me this already through small moments, through my walk with Him. And though I thought I had learned in those moments, I later realized I hadn't. I think this week in a bonus episode, I will share two of those moments. They just don't fit in time-wise today. They're just two moments that that God dealt with me on this issue, and it kind of goes back to back with this. So basically what we'll do this week is this episode is losing control. I'll do a bonus episode later this week, and then next week I will do an episode called Learning to Trust. So maybe you can go on the journey with me. 
learning to lose control with God, but then learning to trust Him. They go hand in hand, and I think they fit perfectly as a little mini-series. But anyway, so God brought me to those specific moments and showed me the biggest character flaw that had been running so many parts of my life. And when life was unsteady, I had learned to be comforted by control comforted by being in control. Taking control was a learned behavior, the roots of which I had to get out of my spirit and my thought pattern. The situation where my lack of control was really obvious just magnified what was already there. As you'll see, this also happened to some, or to actually one, to one of the characters that we'll talk about today, where losing control or taking control trying to at least really just magnified what she had already felt. It wasn't the solution. It was more of a problem. But since that moment in that hotel room, I have learned that ultimately when I try to grab the reins of my life from God, I'm showing my distrust. I'm essentially saying, God, I could do this better. You cannot be trusted. Let me do this my way. But God doesn't work like that. And if you live your life fighting for control, you will literally walk in circles. Never moving on to the next thing because God can't trust you either. At least not until you get it fixed. And so we will talk about different characters today that try to take that control. But two of the instances of the three, they did get it right. And so... I hope that's an example we can pattern after. Maybe we can skip the um, the whole trying to take control part, but we'll talk about it. Like I said, you'll walk in circles. And all I could think of when I literally was just typing it, that you will walk in circles. All I could think about was the Israelites. They totally walked in circles. The first few verses in Deuteronomy tell us that their exodus from Egypt to the land that God had promised them should have been an 11-day journey. 11 days turned to 40 years as these people turned to distrust and complaining. Time after time, they thought that their ways were better than obedience to God's ways. So they circled over and over. God had shown himself to be the one that they could trust. He proved his power and his authority before they even got to the wilderness. He showed them that he would do anything for a promise to come to pass. And that no enemy of theirs that stood between them and a promise could stand. He showed he held all all power. He would do anything to help his people. I mean, we know that God sent 10 plagues and he parted the Red Sea. And the Bible even says, this is the coolest part of it to me, is that the Israelites walked across the parted sea on dry ground. But how quickly we, I say we, because we're lumped in with them too. We can read their story and say, they're crazy. What in the world? Why are they complaining? Why are they so horrible? But it's us. That's us. We do these same things. It might look a little different, but our attitudes are similar far too often. And how quickly we forget what God has done when we are faced with something scary or difficult, or maybe even seemingly impossible. The Israelites were ready to possess the land that God had promised, but 10 of 12 spies were fearful. 
And these ten convinced everyone else that God couldn't lead them to be victorious in a land that He had already promised. For this, for the doubters, for those that showed distrust, for those who thought they knew more than God, a whole generation would die in the wilderness. A whole generation would not get to cross into their promise, ultimately walking in circles until this flaw was out of the people. And I also should say this, I just thought I should say this, that when God gives us a promise, it will happen unless, unless we refuse to follow what, what, you know, the stipulations of the promise or unless we choose to do it our way and not follow God. So God's promises are available to us and they are sure, but it's up to us to walk in his ways. It's up to us to do what needs to be done to see that promise come to pass. So anyways, the next, the next generation trusted God to be God and let him be in control. And that's why they were the ones that were able to see that promise be fulfilled. I'll give you a a quick recap of the situation, and maybe we can learn something together. God instructed Moses to send 12 spies, one from each tribe, and he did. You know, it's easy to follow God when it makes sense to you. They all agreed that that was a good idea. So they went. So the spies went for 40 days. They came back, and this is what they said. This is Numbers 13 and 27. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They show him, you know. And I just think, so they see that what God had promised was really right in front of them. They agreed, all 12 agreed. This is the land that God promises. This is it. It's wonderful. It's abundant. And there's so much here for us. But then here comes our doubt and distrust when the next verse starts with the word, however. So they say, you know, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And then they say, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Then they start telling of all the people they saw, all the descendants and of basically who their enemies were and how big and how strong the people in the region were. Literally everything that follows is their words of fear. And one of the, vo- the one of the spies speaks up, Caleb, as a total voice of reason and a reminder of what God had already spoken. But fear and distrust and struggling for control don't want to hear reason. And they quickly quieted him. And the next chapter starts like this. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Why they questioned and complained. For some odd reason, looking back at Egypt was comfort to them. 
It's what they knew. They knew what they could expect there. And for some reason, the known, though it was miserable and harsh, was more comfortable to them and more in their control somehow than the land of this unknown. They would rather die, they said, than have to go into the unknown, even with the help of God. Had he not proven himself? You know, God is either in control or we are. My husband has said that over and over. God is either in control or we are, but it can't be both. Either the Israelites could trust God and walk in their promise, or they could doubt and question and refuse to go where he commanded. So they refused. And a whole generation actually got their wish. They died in the wilderness as they saw it to be better than going and living in a place that God had for them. And still, some did get it right. And eventually, the Israelites did walk in their promised land. But only after the generation that murmured and complained and refused to follow God was gone. How much easier would it have been if they would have done it right the first time? Can't we see that our ways just won't work? As I talked about how they refused to walk where God had led them. I remember this moment, and it was um, September 2019, not long ago. So basically, September 12th, 2019, I, I keep all these dates. I always write dates in my uh, in my phone notes. So September 12th, I remember praying, and I said, God, I just want to do what you want me to do. I've just felt such a pull in my spirit and a desire to do something new and something uncomfortable for you. And I just want you to know that I'm willing now and I want to do whatever you want me to do. And the next day, um, I made this note because God had opened my eyes to something. I remember that I was sitting on the bed in my room and looking out, I think I was probably on my phone and I put it down and I decided to pray and talk to God. And, and here's just the notes that I wrote. In this season, I have consistently said that this season would be evangelizing. I'm being very open here, but, <laughs> but I, you know, I'll, I don't mind sharing if it will help someone else. So I wrote, in this season, I have consistently said that this is a time where my gifts and talents aren't really able to be put to use. But while in prayer, I felt this. Instead of allowing God to then develop new talents in me, it's like I've been standing in the doorway where He planted, where His plan has been for me to walk through. But instead of simply walking through to what He wants for me, it's like I am this child that has had my hands and my feet braced against both sides of the doorframe, all but refusing to walk through. I feel like this is what God has seen. He gave me a mental picture of it, and it's really pretty pitiful. New talents could have already been formed. I cannot waste more time. I don't know exactly what God wants from me, but I've got to let Him do it in this season, or else I know, and this really is what I wrote. It says, I know that I will circle round and round, and I won't see growth in me until I let Him do this new thing. And then I added this scripture at the end in my notes, and it says this, Remember ye not the former things, neither the things of old. Behold, I I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness 
and rivers in the desert. So when I tell this story about the Israelites and how they refused to walk in this promise, they refused to literally just, all they had to do was walk and God would have given them direction. And we see it happen later. That's how we know it could be so simple. When I see that and I talk about it and I I say, y'all, this really is us. It's because I have experienced it, that it's me. And as embarrassing as it is, it's been me more than once. And in that moment, God just let me see what he saw. After seeing that, I just thought, okay, God, do it. And in, in that verse that I felt on my heart that day, it says, he'll make a way in the wilderness. And that's what he wanted to do for the Israelites. He wanted to make a way. While they were in the wilderness, he had this way, he had this path for them, but they were scared and they refused to walk in it. But I have seen and they learned by the older generation's example that our ways will not work. Our ways are not, they won't work. So you know another that really sticks out as one who tried things her way and failed miserably and ultimately still received her promise like the Israelites, but caused a whole lot of heartache on the way. Which also, side note, both of these examples, they tried to take control, failed miserably, caused a lot of extra unnecessary problems, then decided, okay, God, you're probably better at this than I am. Here's the pen. You write the story. I'll do what you want. And then they received the promise that they had originally doubted. Duh, of course they did, right? A good reminder to us that we'll probably end up trying it God's way anyways. Let's avoid the heartache and not try to do things our way. We've each got to fix that tendency in our minds to get our hands in the middle of God's plan. And if that's not you, then good for you. (laughs) If you don't struggle with taking control, I am so happy for you and a little bit jealous. (laughs) But it is my tendency and it's something that I work on. And so I felt like I should share it today. And when when I say we, I totally mean me. Like I said, you know, control freaks don't wait on God. If he tarries and tarry by going on his timetable rather than ours, or it looks different than we thought it would, we panic and we do something dumb. And that's exactly what happened with the Israelites. They panicked. They didn't think that the land God was giving them would come with such great opposition. Ultimately, in those battles where they were outnumbered or outmatched later on, they learned even more to trust and to follow God's instructions to a T. Instead, it says the people raised a loud cry and wept all night, following the spies' report and longing for Egypt of all places. I'm so guilty, not guilty of longing for Egypt, but guilty of letting fear get the best of me and trying to do things my way. And I have found that in these cases, the cost of our unbelief and impatience is higher than we can pay. It won't work. It never works. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And since the beginning of time, this has been true. And we serve the God who never changes. I mean, literally, this has been true since the beginning of time. Have you ever heard of Eve? She tried it her way and it did not work. And we all are paying the consequences for it. 
But anyways, back to the woman who had the same control issue as I have in the not-so-distant past, Sarah. God had promised that Abraham and Sarah would not only have a son, but would have descendants that were as many as the stars. And we talked about that some last week, so this really is a good follow-up. Genesis 16, 1 and 2 says this. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to, to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. In that time, I know it sounds absolutely crazy to us, but in that time, this really was common practice. If a wife maybe couldn't have children or wanted more, they could select one of their maidservants to stand in for them as a surrogate, and legally, the child would belong to the wife, and he could be the heir to their father, to the father, you know. Uh, And so we see this again later with Jacob and Leah and Jacob and Rachel with their maids, uh, Bilhah and Zilpah. That's around Genesis 30. According to the world's customs, though, this was an okay way to carry on the family line. But Sarah's choice to give Hagar to Abraham was not made out of a desire for more children, but rather a distrust in God's promise to grant her a son. If I could go back and I could meet her, I would just tell Sarah, God doesn't need your help. Save yourself the heartache and just do it His way. But I can't. And even if I could, she wouldn't have listened. We never listen, do we? In regard to this promise, though, keep in mind that Genesis chapter 15 which what I just read you was Genesis 16, 1 and 2. And so Genesis 15 is all about the promises that God has for Abraham. Like God is speaking to him and it ends with God making that covenant and saying that the land, which the land that we have already talked about, would be his descendants. Yet Sarah still doubted God. Abraham and Sarah had already received Word after word from God about their lineage. And we're talking multiple encounters. Not one time where they question, okay, God, did we hear you wrong? But no, time after time. But Sarah's words in verse 2 say it all. Our words tell on our hearts. Our words often tell what we think we are hiding. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Sarah's heart was surely speaking. She said this, The Lord has kept me from having children. God had just given them a promise of a son. But her words told of the unbelief that still hid in her heart. And then after offering up her servant Hagar in hopes of Abraham having a son that way, she says this, Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now revealing the place in her heart where she believed that she was in control. Perhaps I can build. I is the problem word here. She didn't misspeak. 
She said exactly what she meant. And Sarah was deceived into thinking that building a family was in her control. As someone who has dealt with pregnancy loss and and feared infertility afterwards, I can admit from that season, you know, from knowing where my mind was in that season, that I think many women, at least those who have experienced either infertility or maybe even just problems or complications, that many women hold that in their heart. That somehow we as women are the ones in charge of building our family. But that's not the case. God is in control and He and He alone is the giver of life. I want to quickly show you the result of us trying to take control in any life issue. And we won't go in depth of their story. We, I'll just talk some about it. So when Sarah saw that Hagar had conceived, when she saw that her way of forcing God's plan to happen her way and in her time actually worked, she was mad. Except she was mad because this wasn't God's plan. It looked similar and was almost halfway kind of his plan. But really, it was a total counterfeit because we can't force God's hand in anything. And here's verse 4 in the Amplified. It says this, He went into the bed of Hagar and she conceived. And when she realized that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress regarding Sarah as insignificant because of her infertility. Sarah's plan backfired so quickly, and it had long-lasting consequences. You can't do something your way and not face consequences. The emotions that Sarah already felt, insignificant because of her infertility, were only magnified by doing things her way. And that will happen every single time. Our plan will backfire. This son, Ishmael, wasn't the promised son that God had spoke of, but God did give him a promise and he did make a nation out of him. But Ishmael and Isaac, Isaac would be the promised son. They just, they were at constant odds. So much so in the beginning that Ishmael, as he would, he would pick or or taunt, you know, his, his younger brother, Isaac, it was so bad that Sarah sent Ishmael and Hagar away. So it's the second time that Hagar would have left where she was with Sarah and Abraham. And it obviously caused this this long generation after generation after generation conflict. All because someone couldn't wait for God's promise. When we do things our way, the consequences are so far-reaching. And sometimes the consequences are more harsh than other times, but there's always a consequence. And one more today. Who couldn't give up their control? This man, he actually never gave up his control. Who knows if we would have heard from him more than once if he would have given up what God had asked of him. But because of his distrust and because of him wanting to you know know what was next and, and hold that pen in his hand. We never hear from him again. 
He has no great story, but he is for us a what not to do when coming to God. In Mark 10, the rich young ruler ran up and knelt before Jesus. And you know, with him kneeling, it's like he knew enough to know the posture he should take before God and how he should come to him. He ran up and he knelt and he asked him, he said, what does it take to inherit eternal life? And Jesus then repeated to him the Ten Commandments. And here was the um, rich young ruler's response. And he replied to him, him is Jesus, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all your property and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But the man was saddened at Jesus's words and he left grieving because he owned much property and had many possessions. I will tell you this anytime that we do it our way or we refuse to heed to what God is telling us to do, there will be that grieving in our spirit because something is just not right. Whether we've tried to work it out our way or not, and maybe it halfway worked, it doesn't really matter. We'll have that grieving in our spirit, that heaviness in knowing what we ought to do, but not doing it. You know, the Amplified adds this explanation to the end of verse 22. And it says, it says it like this, But the man was saddened at Jesus's words, and he left grieving, because he owned much property and had many possessions which he treasured more than his relationship with God. He only lacked one thing. He had the life right. He he was not, not blatantly sinning. He was following all of God's commands. But he loved his possessions. He loved what he could hold in his hands and treasured it more than his relationship with God. If there is even one thing that God asks of you in me that we are not willing to give up, we've got to get it right. The rich young ruler, though not named, his title tells us all that we need to know. As a ruler, he had authority on earth. But we see that he would never have spiritual authority unless he gave up the one thing he lacked. For him, it was selling all that he had and following Jesus. But what is it for you? What is that thing that stands between you and and walking with God, walking closely with God, not just knowing his ways, not knowing his commands, but being one of his? What's he asking from you today? I know what he's asking for me. And I want to do everything to make myself willing no matter what it takes. Are you willing? Do you trust Him enough to surrender it to Him? I want to remind you as we end what I remind myself often. You can trust Him. You can trust Him enough to give Him what He asks. You can trust Him enough to know that His promises will come to pass. Even without you getting in the middle of it and trying to make it happen, let that simple truth roll around in your spirit this week in preparation for the next episode. 
We serve a God who can be trusted. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.